We've been in this series called First Church. And so tonight, the, the title of this message is called The Living Church. And so we're entering into a time, if, if you've been tracking with us, we've just simply been looking at the principles of the first church. We've been walking through the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And so we've been walking really, really slow. And so it's going to take us about 10 weeks on this, on this journey. And, and so we've been talking about the, the topic, and we're going to continue to talk about the topic tonight uh, of the Holy Spirit and what, it, what is the living church and, 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 what is the, and what is, who is the, the, the Holy Spirit as we just understand this together. And then tonight, we're going to take communion at the close of the message. And so as a result of that, that we'll, we'll continue this, this sermon next week and, and the following as we just look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever felt that, have you ever felt that, that, that urge? Have you ever felt that inner sense of, of urging? Or some people call it a prompting. Or some people will call it like this, this still, small voice to where like, like something is prompting you to do something. In other words, for you, you would say it's, it's almost like God is prompting me to do something. He's urging me to do something that, that I know that he wants me to to get involved in a ministry. I know he wants me to call a friend or send a card or have a conversation with someone. It's like that, it's like that inner nudge that, that you, would, you may refer to as like a prompting to where you're responding to the, the call of God on your life. Well, I want you to know that, that that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's role in, in the life of a believer. And so that, that's what I want to talk to you tonight is just about the, just about the Holy Spirit. Now, listen. Whenever we talk about this subject, and, and I know this subject is like emotional for some, and I, I'll just tell you this, um, I haven't ever, here at Fellowship of the Rockies, I have never walked through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, because a lot of times it's just so controversial, and, uh, and so it was, like, it was like finally God told me that, you know what, just put on your big boy pants and let's just talk about this. And so I think we can talk about it in a very biblical way because wherever you are in your theology, I'll, I'll tell you where I started out and where, I, where I've ended up, and, and we'll talk about that. But wherever you are in your theology, that we have a tendency to, like if we're on a log, we're going to fall off of the log one way or another, and that's your tendency. And so some have a tendency when they're on, on the log, they have a tendency to maybe to, to fall off more to like the experience side, the emotional side the sensational side of, of, of the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, you're, not, if you're not familiar with that, uh, then, then all of a sudden, like, like those that fall off to that side, then, then they use the word spirit a lot, right? I mean, they're always talking, the Spirit led me to do this, the Spirit told me to do this, the Spirit led me to do this. And so, so they're talking about the Spirit a lot to where it's like the Spirit led me to, you know, sometimes to, uh, the Spirit led me to eat breakfast and he, he led me to eat cereal. And then I, I looked in my cereal bowl and all of a sudden it spelled out the word go or it spelled out the word, you know, do this. And it's like, oh my gosh, God just spoke to me in my cereal. Now listen. Only time God spoken to me through my Cheerios, he just said, ooh. <laughs> Good, I was hoping you'd think that was funny. It was going to be awkward. <laughs> and so, you know, and so if you're not familiar with this, right, and you walk into this atmosphere, it's a, it's a little freaky. And so all of a sudden, they, everything's about the Spirit. And then there, there's demons behind like every bush. And so you'll hear people say that, oh, my gosh, I mean, I hope that's okay to say. Uh, uh, oh, my gosh, uh, I, I got in my car to come to church, 
and my battery was dead. Satan is trying to keep me from church, right? No, you may just need a new battery. And so, uh, and so all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we start blaming everything, and it's like this emotional side. And so there's some that just fall off the log, and it's just, it's just emotional. In other words, they equate the Holy Spirit with some weirdness, or they equate the Holy Spirit with, with, uh, with some, some emotion or other thing. There's another group of people, and that you'll fall off log, and this is where the type of church that I met Christ in, you fall off the log, and all of a sudden, you're like a doctrinal Christian. In other words, this, the Holy Spirit for you is really not a person. The Holy Spirit for you is really more of theology. It's really more of doctrine. It's really not a person to commune with or a person to communicate with. For you, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is just, it's just, it's just more of a, it's more of a, a, of a doctrine. In other words, it's like, it's like the plus sign in a math equation. It just kind of helps things add up. It helps things make sense. But, it's, but the Holy Spirit for you is not someone that you have interaction with. It's not something, someone that you communicate with. It's not someone that you have communion with. And so, but man, don't get me wrong, these types of Christians, they can lay out solid theology for, for the Holy Spirit. And they can lay out solid doctrine for the Holy Spirit. But for them, it's more of a doctrine than it, than it is a person. And so here's what I think. I think all of us need to pull more to the middle because the church I came out, came out of, we were more doctrinal Holy Spirit people. Fact is, I'll tell you this quick story, and, and I got all kinds of stories about this issue. But in in seminary, I was in a seminary that was kind of doctrinal only seminary. And so this, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that we're going to talk about tonight, it's something that was really important to me. And I felt like I was I was just missing something. And so I go to Dr. Wagner, who is my systematic theology professor. And I said, hey, I just need, like, some more stuff on this Holy Spirit stuff. I mean, if, if I just read my Bible, there's some things in here that I don't think you guys are talking about. And so he says, okay. He said, I'm going to give you a book, but don't tell anybody. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> and it was like, who's afraid of the Holy Spirit? And so, and so you have these two bents. And so it's, it, it's helpful to identify uh, identify wh- where you are. Now, Acts chapter 2, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing wind. Now, listen, the Holy Spirit is described more like a rushing wind than anything else. So what's easier for me to understand in this issue of the Holy Spirit is, is I think back in the days before we had boats with engines and they, they had sailboats and they depended on a wind uh, to push or to motor or to give the boat motion and if you had wind, you had motion, you had production, you went somewhere, you did some things. And if you didn't have any wind, you didn't do anything. And so really and truly, that's the picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives wind, what gives energy to the life of, of, of the believer. And so it's this relationship that we're able to have with the Holy Spirit to where we come to the place just like, just like sailors understand they are desperate on the wind, they are desperate on the rushing wind, the same as we as believers need to come to the place and say, you know what, we're desperate for the Holy Spirit. We're desperate for the Holy Spirit to do some things in our life, to personalize. And so we're going to look at these in the coming days of all the attributes of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us, that we would, we would start to understand as believers, to understand the presence and the power and the fullness and the, the joy of knowing what it means to, to, to walk in the Spirit is, is a term that is, that is in Scripture 
that if we're going to understand the Spirit-filled life, this is over and over in Scripture, then we need to understand what it means and who is the Holy Spirit. And so I've told you that the, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And so Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit from John chapter 14 all the way to John chapter 16. So obviously this is important to Jesus. And it was important for him to get the disciples to understand. And so we're just going to walk through the theology of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to walk through that together. And at the close of this, we're going to take communion together. So John chapter 14, verse 16, the scripture says this. Jesus is talking. And he said, I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Now, we know that's capital. That means Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here's the interesting thing. So Jesus is talking, and he uses that word dwell, which is present tense. It's a present tense verb. And so Jesus is talking about, about right here. He's talking about himself, and you know him, for he, he dwells with you. And then all of a sudden, it's interesting, he shifts to, to future tense, and he says, and he will be, be in you. And so he, he begins to start shifting to future tense, which can confuse the disciples and us to some extent. In John chapter 14, verse 18, and he says, I will not leave you as orphans, and I will, I will come to you. And then all of a sudden he confuses them even more, which Jesus had a habit of doing sometimes when he's talking to disciples. John chapter 14, verse 19, we're going to read a lot of scripture here, and this is what he says. And he says, and yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he loves me and will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Remember, we talked about that word manifest that means to make the attributes of, of, of God come alive in your life. If you've ever been through a crisis, if you've ever been through a difficult time in your life, you know the attributes of God have to become more real to you than your pain more real to you than your loss, more real to you. In other words, it's like the promises of God have to become alive to you. And that's what verse 23, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my words, uh, my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that, that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, so Jesus defines that out, who the Holy Spirit is, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to you your remembrance and all that I have said to you. So tonight in the time that I have with you, I, I, I just want to talk about two things just real quickly. One, who is the Holy Spirit? And then what does the Holy Spirit do? And we'll have to finish this up as far as what the Holy Spirit does next week. But the first thing is this, is, is who is the Holy Spirit? Verse 16, Jesus says that he's, he's another. He's another helper. Now, just real quickly, because it's so important, just a little bit of a, a Greek lesson. In, in the Greek language in which, in which the Bible, the New Testament, was mostly written out of the Greek, and then, if not, the Aramaic, and, but, but primarily Greek. And Jesus said this. It was a Greek statement that he made. 
So in, in, in the Greek text, um, in the Greek vocabulary, there are two words for another. Another of a different kind and another of the same kind. And so it's very important to understand that when Jesus made this statement, he said another of the same kind. Another like me. And so Jesus uses this word another of the same kind. In other words, he says, I'm going to give you another the same kind as Jesus, which meant, meant God. And so this is, this is a reference to the fact that the Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God. This is, of course, the reference of, of, of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. Um, and listen, I'm telling you, that the, I don't know that anybody totally understands the Trinity. If someone does, then, then you need to, you know, back away. And I'm going to explain that. But this issue of the Trinity is just... I, it's just so hard to understand. It's, the definition is simply this. One God who exists eternally in three persons. I mean, that, that it's just so confusing to us. And listen, I've, I've heard all of the analogies, and I've heard all of the, the, the how tree, people have tried to explain this through the years, and, and, and I've taken systematic theology, and, and, and you know what? I, I, I still have some questions. I've heard the analogy like, you know, it's like, like the egg. In the egg, you have three parts. You have the shell, you have the yolk, and you have, have, have the white. That's the healthy part of the egg, I understand. And, uh, but the problem is, and the, the analogy breaks down, because you can separate out the, you can separate out the shell, and you can separate out the, the yolk for, for healthy people, and then, or I'm sorry, the white. The white is what healthy people eat. Uh, I like the yolk, personally. And so... Uh, and you can, you can separate it out. And so, and so that, that analogy uh, just breaks down. But listen, there are some things that are true about God that you and I, we don't believe them because we, we understand them. We believe them because that's what God has revealed to us in his word. There are some things, there are mystery to God. And there are some things that this side of heaven you and I will never understand. But essentially the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is... There is one God that is eternally existed in three persons. One God that existed eternally in three persons. Three distinct persons, but, but one God. It's, listen, it's, it's not, listen, it's not polytheism, and I know some teach that. It's not polytheism. It's not like God existed, and then he's up in heaven, and he has a little God family that he had some children, and they had some children. And then up there, there's like this little God family. That is polytheism. That is polytheistic. And, and that is not what the Scripture teaches and talks about. It's not, listen, it is not three different gods. It is not three different gods in three different modes. Um, and like, like God just continually changes costumes. Uh, three different gods in three different modes. That's called modalism. And so in case you're wondering what that's like, if you read the book, The Shack, that made that so popular, that, that was the thesis of The Shack, that God operated in different modes. When God wanted to be the father, then he put on the father costume. And when God wanted to be the little brother, he put on the little brother costume. And when God wanted to be the, the, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, then he put on the grandmother costume. And all of a sudden, it was God in three different modes. But when you look in Scripture, you realize that, that God ex existed eternally. In three persons, it's, it's, it's not three different modes. I mean, modalism is heresy. Polytheism is heresy. 
And so when you start looking at the different ways that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in this passage, I get it. It can be confusing. John chapter 14, 7. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going away, but he is coming, and he's going to dwell in you. In other words, there's distinctions. John chapter 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans, and I, I will come to you. And so all of a sudden, Jesus says, I, I will come to you. So he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's not him, but it is him. John chapter 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Those, those, those words are important. We, so many times, uh, my Father will, will love him, and we will come to him and make our, that's plural, make our home with him. And now all of a sudden, you're, we're getting the idea that if you get one, you get all of them, right? That if, if, if you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Father and you get the Son. If you get the Son, you get the Holy Spirit and you get the Father. In other words, it's, you, you, get, you get all of them. And so we don't, we don't believe the Trinity because we can explain it. We believe it because this is what God has revealed to us. And so... So here, here's how I understand it, and, and I think God gave me this illustration. Uh, we have a, a grandchild, Micah, that one day is, is going to be a, a chef, if, uh, a chef if, he, if he doesn't hurt himself in the kitchen before then. And so, uh, and so Micah loves to cook. And so Micah knows that I love grape Kool-Aid. I mean, I, I enjoy grape Kool-Aid. Uh, Micah has learned to make grape Kool-Aid. And so we were there last weekend or whenever it was, and so we were there. And so Micah told me, says, can I make you some grape Kool-Aid? And I said, absolutely. And so I wanted to go in the kitchen and watch. I just wanted to see how it goes down and make sure it's not contaminated and it was safe for drinking and consumption and all those other things. And so I go in the kitchen with him, and he had the, he had the pitcher of water. He had, uh, he had a cup of sugar, and then he had the, the grape Kool-Aid mix, the, you know, the flavoring, whatever that's called. And so he took the water, and he put the sugar in there. Then he put the grape Kool-Aid mix. And so in there, you have water, you have sugar, you have the, the flavoring that turns the, the water grape. Uh, you, you, have, you have that. And so once you stir it around, guess what? You take a drink, you get the water, you get the sugar, and you get the Kool-Aid. Fact is, it's impossible to separate it back out. And so this is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Listen, even though it's, it's complicated, I get that. Even though this side of heaven, we're probably not going to totally understand that. But we know with the Trinity that all three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that you get one, you get all. You can't separate them. It's not one person are acting out in different modes. It's three distinct personalities. One God, three distinct personalities. So, so the, the second thing that we have to look at tonight is this, is what does the Holy Spirit do for the unbeliever? We're going to look at that, what he does for the unbeliever, and then what the Holy Spirit does for, for the believer. The first thing is this, is what does the Holy Spirit do for the, the, the unbeliever? The first thing is this, he declares the Savior. First of all, the Holy Spirit, before you meet Christ, before you enter into a relationship with him, before you're a Christ follower, however you want to phrase that, all he's doing, his role is, is to declare the Savior, is to point to Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 26 is what Jesus says. 
He said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit, listen, is so important. The purpose for the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about the focus later, but the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to uplift himself, but it's to uplift, uplift Christ. It's to uplift Jesus. And so you and I need to realize that the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus, to exalt Christ. And the focus of our lives and ministry should not, should not totally be focused on the, the Spirit of God, but rather on the, on, the, on the one that the Spirit of God is focusing on, and that is the beloved Son, and that is Jesus Christ. So before you meet Christ, all he's doing is making Christ known to you. He's declaring the Savior. The second thing is this. He convicts the sinner. I mean, he, he brings conviction into the life so that someone knows that, you know what, I need Christ. I need to change my life. John 16, 8 uh, says, and when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, so the purpose of the Holy Spirit before you meet Christ is not only to declare that there is a God, to declare there is Jesus, to declare there is a Savior, but it's also to move into that place to, to convict us, to help us understand what is, what is wrong with our lives, that something needs to change in our life, that, that we're, we have this emptiness, we have this void, that we're far away from God, and, and we need to enter into a relationship with us. In other words, that the Holy Spirit is the one that draws back the, <coughs> excuse me, the curtain of our life, and open it up center stage of our, our lives to re re reveal that we need forgiveness, that we need a relationship with Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've been in a worship service. Fact is, I, I can tell you some of my stories, but maybe you've been in a, in a, in a worship service and, and you've heard a, a, a preacher teach, or maybe you've been in a Bible study and heard a Bible uh, pre uh, teacher teach, and, and then all of a sudden it's like they've been like reading your mail, and they've been like following you around, and it's like, how do they know the conversation we had in our home? And how do they know what we're walking through? And how do they know what we're dealing with? And how do they know what's going on in our mind and our heart? And that's, that's the ministry. Listen, that is, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That, I, I, I never will forget the first time. When I met Christ and I stepped into a, to a worship service, he not only declared the Savior, but he opened up my life. And it was like my life was laid bare and I knew that I, that I needed him. Many years ago, we had a, a young girl in our church, and, 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 and she had wanted to bring her, her dad. Her dad didn't know Christ and, and going through some tough stuff, and so she wanted her, her dad to come to our church. And, and I was unaware of this until after the service. And, and so her, her dad came to the, came to the service, and uh, we, did our, we did our prayer response. And so she came down, and, and she's like crying, and and she's like, oh, my gosh, I need you to come outside, and can you please talk to my dad? My dad is, like, furious. My dad is furious at me, and, and, he, and he's furious at, uh, at you. And I'm like, what did I do? And, and so she said, well, it's a sermon you preached, and so can you come talk to my dad? And so I said, sure. And so I go out in the foyer, and she introduced me to her dad. And her dad was angry, and her dad started, like, like poking me and, and telling me. He says, I, I cannot believe you did this. I have never been to church in my life. I've never wanted to go to church ever. My daughter has been talking to me for a year. And so just to get her quiet, I says, last night I told her I would go. 
And so I know what happened. As soon as I told her that I would come, she called you, told you I was coming, told you every issue that I'm dealing with, and that you changed your entire sermon for me. I'm like, really? Really? And so I tried to explain to him, you know what, that wasn't me. That, that, that's the ministry, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fact is, the things that you just told me that you're dealing with, I didn't even preach on that. I, I, I didn't preach on any of that. Man, I, that was, that was God. I mean, that, see, the Holy Spirit, before we meet Christ, he is revealing to us our need for him. And here, here's the great thing. It's never, never a fiery condemnation. It's never a condemning voice. It's always passionate and tender and sensitive and, and, and with love. And uh, here's the third one. He, he draws the seeker. He draws the seeker. And, and I, I think this is one of the mo- most marvelous truths of Scripture. Uh, John 6, and Jesus says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's so interesting to me. I've, I've talked to so many people, and, and, and so you know, if you're new to our church, you've been new to our church, and we've had that conversation, that I often will ask you, why, why'd you come? Because it's always insightful to me to hear, why, why did someone come to our church? And, and, it's, it's, and the answers always encourage me, because the majority of the time, there's a lot of people say, you know what, we don't know why we came. I mean, we were kind of we drawn here. Yeah, someone may have invited us. We saw the sign. We saw all the people. Uh, but honestly, we don't, we don't know why we came. Uh, we, we drove by, and it was like God was drawing us in here. We had one family one time that says, yeah, they said, really and truly, we, we had decided to, to visit a church down the street. We didn't even know your church like existed. And so we decided to visit another church. And so we went to this other church, and we pulled into the parking lot and saw the church sign and realized we were 15 minutes late for their service. And so we didn't want to be first-timers and be late, so we, we pulled out. We're driving home. We passed your church, and we realized, hey, we can be on time for your church. And so that's the reason. So we pulled into your church. We stepped into church, and they said, something happened. We, we can't explain it. Something happened. And they said, and guess what? We all prayed to receive Christ today. And so it's the Spirit that draws people. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture, I think, is the first church. And it's, it's, in, it's, it's talking about Jacob when Jacob had his dream. And then all of a sudden, Jacob wakes up and says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. Can I tell you, that's, that's the prayer I always pray for our church before any church service. God, would people walk out and say that that draw, that urge, that thing that was happening. I didn't know how to articulate it, explain it, but God, surely you were in this place. And I, I didn't even know it. This morning I officiated a really um, tough um, funeral for a young man, 46 years of age. Died way too soon. And uh, this, this place was was just packed he's at church and and so our our church it it was just packed and I can't tell you how much I depend on the Holy Spirit a common prayer before a funeral or before a church service when I'm walking up those steps one is don't trip because I've done that Uh, (laughs) it's embarrassing but the other thing is Holy Spirit without you I will fail 
Holy Spirit, without you, I will fail. I'm not smart enough. I'm not articulate enough. I'm not a persuasive enough speaker. God, without you, I will fail. And I try to be sensitive to what's going on in a congregation. And so I do this funeral, and, and, um, and a lot of people share, you know, like family memories. And I'm sitting back here, and I'm listening to the family memories, which are hilarious, and uh, a lot, lot of non-church memories. And, and, and so then, towards the end, I'm ready to speak, and then the older brother stands up and says, i got to share. And he came up, and he shared in a very deep way about relationships and everything. And I'm listening to him. And all of a sudden, I felt I had a prompting. And so he went and sat down, and I said, you know, I, I, I didn't even plan on saying this. I couldn't tell him this is for free. You guys know what that means. <laughs> and so I said, uh, I'm listening to all these, all these memories, and it just reminds me of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. And Solomon was said to be one of the wisest men that have ever walked this earth. And there's a statement that he makes in Ecclesiastes where, Solomon's, where Solomon just simply says that uh, sometimes it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. And so when I was younger, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even get that. I didn't even understand what that meant. And Solomon goes on to explain and says, because in a, in a party there's drinking and dancing and laughing and joking, but, but when you walk away, that's all there is. When you walk away, it doesn't change the eternal destiny of anybody. When you walk away, there's really not any eternal significance. But sometimes it's better for you and I to go to a funeral than to go to a, a party. Because a funeral forces us to look at our life, right? It forces us to reflect back on relationships and how we've handled relationships and come in some of the situations that we're in. There's something about a funeral that helps us to understand just our deep need of God. That we're going to go through situations in life and times in life that we're just going to be desperate for him to speak to us or desperate for him to encourage us. But it also, it just also brings out the deep need of friends and community and people. Some of the saddest people I know that go through those times without any family, without any relationships. And then I just awkwardly transition and say, hey, watch the slideshow. Then after the funeral, I'm, I'm out in the, the foyer, and this, this man came up to me, and he says, he says can, can we talk? And I'm like, sure. And he says, I didn't even really know him. I just knew him through business and met him a couple of times. And for some reason, I felt prompted, it was his words, to drive from Springs to here. And what you said about Ecclesiastes, I think that was for me. I think that was for me. I think that was for me. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about my marriage? Can we talk about my life? Can we talk about that? Because I sat in there and I reflected on my life. And there were some things I don't like. See, church, I'm telling you, we're not even going to get to the end of today's talk. We've got to get, take communion and get out of here before the blizzard hits. <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. It'll come. 
church is way more than just bringing a group of people together and entertaining one another and then walking out. Church is understanding and moving. In fact, is it is my prayer, and I'll just lay all my cards on the table, that all of us, to some degree, wherever we are on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, was all emotion, it's, it's all emotion, it's all feelings, or if it's just all doctrine, just more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, that we would all begin to move to the middle. We have people in this church from every different background. I think that is so cool because we can learn from each other. And church should be a place to we understand that the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine to believe. Yeah, that's part of it. But he is a person. He is a spirit of the living God. He is the one that manifest, makes the attributes of God real, alive to us. The Holy Spirit, whole role is to not point to himself, but to point to Christ, to point to Jesus. You may have seen pictures of Washington, D.C. You may have been in Washington, D.C. You may have seen the Capitol. You may have seen some of the monuments. And you see the Capitol at night, it's unbelievably awesome, right? I mean, you see the, 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 the structure, and, then, and then, you, then, then, then it's lit. But you know what you don't notice? You don't notice the floodlights, right? You know what you notice? You don't notice the lighting. You don't even know where the floodlights are. You, don't know, you know what you notice? You notice the monument. You notice the Capitol. That's what the Holy Spirit does with Jesus, that he puts focus onto Christ. He puts focus onto him. So when we live spirit-filled lives and we walk in the spirit, you know what we're doing? We are, we are exalting Christ. We are putting the focus on him. And that's why communion is just so critically important to the life of a church and to the life of believers as our, our servers are going to begin making their way to the back.